0: Hi, and welcome to episode 34 of the Untethered podcast. Today, we have Michelle Emanuel rejoining us on the podcast. Michelle has over 20 years of experience as a pediatric occupational therapist specializing in the pre-crawling infant. She practices OT in various forms of manual therapy and private practice in Cincinnati, Ohio. She teaches and lectures internationally and developed the tummy time method. So first, Michelle, I want to thank you for rejoining us back on the podcast today. I'm so excited to have you back on here. Thank you so much. I'm
1: excited to be here.
0: Yeah. So let's just jump right on in. And, you know, we've been talking about Tits for Tots. So let's just jump into that and tell us what that's all about.
1: Okay. Um, So Tits for Tots is therapeutic, intentional tummy time for tethered oral tissues. I love it. Yeah. And so that's a great name. And it's, it's an appealing one, but also is an easier way to say something. And it's also that we can use a common understanding of what we mean, like, wait, we're going to be using tummy time to address tetheral tissues. What does that mean? What's that going to look like?
0: Yeah, and let's jump right into that. So I know you, you teach the Tummy Time Method course, um, and, and Tummy Time Method is your thing. So, you know, a lot of people know what Tummy Time is, or they think they know what Tummy Time is. So what would you say is the difference between, you know, Tummy Time that everybody just refers to on a daily basis and Tummy Time Method?
1: Oh, that's a great question. So Tummy Time, small t, small t, a generic word, is a great word for a developmental activity that's been in the developmental literature for a long time. Parents have known about the words tummy time, and it's a generic terminology. And it's a generic terminology for the medical term of prone. So prone means on your belly, and that's tummy time. So what the difference between that and tummy time method is, is I developed the tummy time method in order to help babies love tummy time for it to be easy enough for them to do it yet therapeutic enough to address the things that they need. And that balance is kind of hard to strike when you're not familiar with babies or you're not really sure how to help babies get comfortable. So I developed an eight stage movement and connection sequence, which helps parents and babies connect and also babies to move with effort and ease When in tummy time, so using tits for tots where I'm referring to is the tummy time method, the application of using tummy time method with babies for therapeutic gain and understanding. So not to say that other, you know, other tummy times are not therapeutic because they are, but it's just taking it another level and expanding the concepts into what exactly, breaking down each part that the baby may need help with. And specifically when we're talking about tots, that we're going to go to the tongue. And so in utero, we have the flexed forward position and that shortens a lot of the tissues and the structures of the floor of the mouth and the jaw and the tongue. But when we come out into gravity, we're born, then we begin to use extension a lot more than we did in the womb. We're using extension primarily for straightening and moving and rolling around in utero and using it for movement when we are born. And that's especially important for the first three, six, nine months of a baby's life. And we really want a balance of flexion and extension, but extension is the more, um, you know, are elongating the tissues that have been flexed in utero. And so when we're looking up, if you look up and tilt your head back, you can feel how that pulls on the structures of the tongue and the floor of the mouth and all of the different soft tissues that are, um are situated in that area
0: yeah I, I love one thing you said early on when you're explaining it is that it helps the babies to love tummy time and mm-hmm. I think that's so important because every single tethered child, t- every child who has tethered oral tissues <laughs> that I see especially the babies they one of the things the parents say to me is oh they hate tummy time and that was my kids too my child hated tummy time I I could get her to lay on, on me, on my chest, on my belly. I could get her to maybe lay across my lap. You know, I could do certain things to achieve tummy time, but in the purest form of what the pediatrician said, you know, I'll well, just lay them on the floor and roll a toe in front of them and have them, you know, move their head left and right and work on that head and neck control. Um, you know, <laughs> as a new mom who was not trained in tummy time and just had really only knew it as what you described as being prone, you know, I was at my wit's end because I didn't realize when I was told my child didn't have tetheral tissues, as everybody that listens to this podcast knows. (laughs) (laughs) She did. I talk about it all the time. Um, But that was one of the things that I had no clue there was a connection to and how uncomfortable it must have been for her to attempt to you know, feel those tissues pull when she was trying to lay prone and elevate her head and her neck. And, you know, she had definitely had a side preference, like my, my second daughter, and I'm sure that one side was tighter than the other. And so, you know, it all makes so much more sense now that I know what I know, but since I didn't know what I didn't know at the time, (laughs) um, yeah, I get those babies and all the parents will say, "Oh, they just hate tummy time. And I'm like, that's so telling. Thank you for telling me that. (laughs) Yeah.
1: That can almost be an in route to begin to talk to a mom about oral dysfunction and or tethered oral tissues. If they say my baby hates tummy time because babies obviously really don't hate anything. Mm -hmm. What they are doing is effectively communicating their discomfort, their inability to find comfort in that position And that's why I am so passionate about this, because I believe babies deserve to be comfortable in all positions of their body, feel safe and supported, especially in positions where our posture needs it, our airway needs it, our digestive system needs it, our pelvic alignment and development needs it, our shoulder girdles need it, everything. Our head and neck control. It becomes quite exquisite over the first few months of life. And these this is a big area where if we don't do it enough, which we can talk about in a little bit how much enough is, but if we don't do it enough, then we're not even going to stimulate the proper brain areas and receptors and networks and neighborhoods of networks to elicit these more mature neural de- behavioral movements. And it's just one of those things where you have to be stimulated by those movements in prone tummy time in order for some of these more mature patterns to show up for more sophistication, for strength, for tone. We need prone for tone. That's what I always say. I like that prone for tone. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good one. Yeah. And so the babies understand where the earth is, you know, not cognitively, not rationally, but in their autonomic nervous system, in their sensory apparatus that is really big on developing their awareness in space. And what I call unpacking the suitcases is really hard. So you go from that flex forward position of in the womb and then you're expected to lift your head and turn it and get very sophisticated with that and use your shoulders and push down on all of those tissues that haven't been quite unpacked so well. And when you're a a vulnerable baby, especially in the first eight weeks of life, you don't have super great head control, but you have a large heavy head Mm -hmm. that you have to do something with. And so we set up these early, Head riding and responses and gravity movements and the thing about babies with tots and we all know this is they love using some compensations they love compensatory movements and I don't blame them they have to use something but you know what we compensate for postural control looks like stiff tight necks and where we place our tongue is going to be important because I say part of the the tips for tots is that our first posture to develop is our tongue posture then our head control than our trunk posture so it's a sequential thing and we do see kids who don't have good tongue posture with compromised head control and it cannot look so obvious because they could be stiffening and tightening and using tension in an elevated hike shoulder or their accessory muscles or whatever mm-hmm. to use their head up but when we do tits for tots that's what it does it combs out all of those compensatory strategies and it enhances and optimizes new movement patterns that are more functional,
0: adaptive, efficient, and really better and more mature. That's amazing. And that was, you know, everyone said, Oh, your children have such good head and neck control. Like, right, popped them out and look at that. They have great neck control. And I'm like, The first time I was like, yeah, isn't it great? Look, I can just like hold her with one arm and she can keep her head up. And my second child, I was like, no, the guys, this is not good. I was like, what I learned between child one and child two. I was like, no, 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 no. We don't want her to have good head and neck control as soon as she pops out of the womb. You know, we want her to develop that. But clearly there are some compensations going on here. Well, it's a lot of it has to do
1: with transition physiology. as As the child is born, they take their first breath we have transition physiology which is a complicated thing that happens we set up these ways that we're responding in gravity right away because it's really important it's our airway and our very life mm-hmm. and so we do have a lot of reflexes we have reflexes to be born and we have reflexes land-based reflexes and reflexes to get nutrition and to nurse and to crawl up our mother's body and achieve that first natural latch but listen some of the time the babies have exaggerated reflexes with Mm -hmm. tethered oral tissues because they have gone into big movement mode. And so those are the babies that look like they have head control or raise their head up and look around in the delivery room or, you know, right after birth they're lifting their head up. So, but and sometimes on the other side of the tots thing is the baby who can barely not do any of those writing Mm -hmm. those, those reflexes early on and they're not responding so well to the reflexes. So the TOTS babies are on either side of that.
0: Yeah, no, that's a good point. And, and I was very thankful to know what to look for and to get her that early intervention and have the tongue tie released and get the body work done. And, you know, she definitely had a, a side preference. She preferred her left side. Both my kids had side preferences. But with this one, we were able to avoid what they would traditionally call, um, uh, of course, I'm like blinking because I didn't sleep last night. Perfect. Um <laughs> torticollis. Thank you. <laughs> you. know what I was talking about. So they didn't want to officially give her a torticollis, you know, uh, diagnosis or anything. And she, neither of my kids, thankfully had flat heads. They had beautifully round heads. So we were very lucky. And um, even though they had to, you know, they tended to sleep on their back and more of a reclined position until we knew that some of those things were not as safe. Um, but anyways, you know, they, the rest of the time they were not container babies. And so I think I did them a favor because they were not in containers all day. They were on me. They had the opportunity to get down on the floor and work through certain yeah. things. And, you know, they were on me, we were moving around, you know, the most time they probably spent anywhere was maybe a car seat if they fell asleep when we were shopping or something. But they were not true container babies, so I think that was my only saving grace. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, it's it's really to see the difference between baby one and baby two, and when intervention began and what I knew, what you know, when I knew it. And so I think that there's a lot to be said about you know more people are becoming aware of tummy time, but I think not enough people really know about the tummy time method, and so you know, aside, I know taking your basic tummy time method course would be a good step one for, for therapists and professionals in this space. Um, so let's talk about that. Is that, you know, is that what you would recommend as sort of a step one for people who want to learn more about this?
1: Yes, absolutely. It's a two day training and you do have to do a little bit of work on the outside, working with five different families individually and finishing up a little written work. But for the most part, the training is done in those two days. And then in the community that we create afterwards, I continue to do education and support because this is a really deep, complex issue. And I've been using tummy time therapeutically for a long time. Mm -hmm. So lots of problems that have come up. I've done problem solving the whole time and synthesized the information so that it's really easy to understand and get to, I'm really passionate about, co-regulation and using social engagement as a way to regulate and also that babies are working in the right intensity Mm. so that's what I love teaching in the training is how do you work at the proper intensity so that it's not too much to cause overstimulation and overwhelm but it's also enough to evoke change
0: yeah so how much is enough (laughs) That's a loaded question. You're like, well, that depends on the child and the symptoms and each individual case. Yeah, it's
1: it is, it's individualized. So the tummy time method has a structure to it, right? It's eight phases. There's a structure to it that provides the repetition and consistency. But something else the nervous system loves is novelty. So Mm -hmm. it also is individualized Mm -hmm. to each baby doing it because their response to the different parts of it is what we're paying attention to and looking for where the therapeutic envelope is and what we find with many babies. And I hear this from so many people who train in tummy time is that tummy time is not really the problem. It's some, some other things. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times it comes back to autonomic nervous system dysregulation. So that's really what the tummy time method is about. It is about tummy time, but there's eight phases and tummy time is only one of them but it's really about autonomic nervous system regulation and resiliency so helping babies achieve and transition autonomic states which is really important and also that's the regulation piece and then resiliency is the ability to bounce back to have the endurance to do the activities because we know now through neurodevelopmental research and, and clinical expertise that brain development and neural developmental maturation happen as a result of the doing Because if you don't engage in these activities and do them and touch these circuits and create the connectome, it's not going to kind of unfold into more neuromaturational process. So we have to do more to get more. We have to experience it and be in the body. And a lot of this in the first six months of life, we're transitioning into our active movement patterns and the development of our postural skills and our muscle tone. And again, it's prone makes tone. So that is where if you have a little bit higher tone, it'll help inhibit it a little bit and settle it down. If you have lower tone, it balances it out. So that's what we go over in the tummy time method. And then really in that first, in the first basic, it's how to empower and equip the families Mm. because we're really good at what we do, but what we need is for parents and, and babies to have something they can do at home that's easily reputable right and it makes the parents really able to problem solve a little bit better for their babies mm-hmm. and you hear really um intelligent observations from the parents like oh wow I noticed how she's using her left shoulder differently and I noticed I don't have to fight her arm as much and during breastfeeding wow. and so they're, they're putting the pieces together how how the babies are using their arms and other dailies of activity daily living and play activities is going to transfer or be seen in the breastfeeding experience or the bottle feeding experience, both. I
0: think that's a really great point, especially because these babies who have the tethered oral tissues, especially, you know, the reason why they're coming, they're ending up in a lot of our offices or we're ending up in their homes is because they just, <laughs> they're not feeding well. And so there's generally breastfeeding or bottle feeding issues um, early on. And we're maybe one of the first people to identify tethered oral tissues, but nobody else is really watching their other movements nobody's looking you know unless you've got a body worker um, or somebody who's very highly skilled in this most people are not looking at well what is that arm doing when trying to feed on mom or are the feet you know do, does mom give the baby any support with her feet or is you know the baby able to push up against something or you know there's certain things that i've learned to look for from some of some amazing iv CLCs that i've worked with but also OTs and PTs. And, um, I think that positioning is something that gets missed so much. And that is like, you're talking about, you know, the, the, obviously the autonomic nervous system is, um, we're trying to work on the co-regulation, as you mentioned, but I think that positioning piece is something for parents that we can immediately, talk about in various different ways. And I think like you're talking about too, they just start to see those very gross movements and those big changes that, that might be so subtle to so the untrained eye, mm-hmm. but to a parent who's struggling to feed and watching their baby for so long every day, it, it looks like a huge change. Mm-hmm. So I think that's really cool.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, very empowering. I, I think I would have been very empowered as a mother <laughs> early on if I knew to look for those things with my first one and had actually been able to implement these things.
1: Right. Right. And I think you know the other the other piece of it is you were mentioning earlier the asymmetries or having torticollis like appearance or a head turning preference to one side which almost every baby with tots has and it's almost impossible. I mean I'm here to say I don't think you can even have a case of torticollis without tethered oral tissues because if you have full oral function full optimal oral function. You cannot have torticollis. It's impossible to have torticollis with that. I'm making that statement very boldly based on a lot of different things that I know I'm working for a long time, because if your tongue is moving fully, that's the, it's the, the main part of a baby moving mm-hmm. is, a, is the tongue. It's the most sophisticated area. So if that has inhibitions or if that has restrictions or if that is not moving functionally enough, doesn't have enough strength or tone or position, then everything else around it is going to reflect that on one level or another. And so it dips into our ability to experience typical development, like getting in tummy time without a problem and enjoying it or really, you know, really liking it. And, you know, here's the thing too about why a training would be good and get a little bit better knowledge about it is that it tummy time changes so rapidly Mm -hmm. in the first four to five months of life. That tummy time is not tummy time is not tummy time because it depends on if you're two weeks old or four weeks old or six weeks old or 10 weeks old or 14 weeks old. Mm -hmm. It changes. And as the babies, especially ones who've been using a lot of compensatory strategies as they grow, they get bigger and that it gets more obvious. A lot of times that the problems are there because uh, the patterns don't shift. And then the developmental expectations increase. And so that's why it it catches really a quick sequence through that. So it's nice to have really specific information, what to look for, and how to work with babies based on their individual age or maturational level, you know, necessarily. But we're also working, you know, a tummy time method. It's all about neuroplasticity, and we're going to use brain changes to make body shape changes. Mm. And so if we see a baby that has a, a flat spot or whatever, we're gonna note it. And we use this information to get in, to get more knowledge about what the baby's been doing or not doing. Because no matter what, every case of head molding is, I can say this with certainty and not even laying an eye on a baby. If you tell me a baby has a flat spot or an odd head shape, I'm gonna say the baby's not
0: moving enough. Yeah that would make sense. And I'm, I i do not have as much experience as you, but I would agree with that. <laughs> um, yeah, I think that's absolutely. And that's where we get into that whole container baby issue and just, there's just too many containers these days and babies need to have the opportunity to move around, use their bodies. And and guess
1: what? The tongue is not going to love going up to the palate and floating up there and expanding it and creating a great mid face and a nasal patent airway and a big, nice head. Unless we use prone tummy time ventral surface weight bearing, unless we use this, the babies their brains know where they are in space, and they're not going to behave the same in other positions than the tummy time. And you know, people say, "Well, I hold my baby a lot, and she does a lot of tummy time on my chest." That's fantastic, but when we say that a baby has tethered oral tissues and oral dysfunction. We need to turn up the heat a little bit and do therapeutic intentional tummy time for tethered oral tissues, tits for tots. Yeah. And let's get down on the floor. Together, we can do this therapeutically. We're both going to like it. It's going to give us both benefit. It's going to feel good at the end. The baby's going to have that just right challenge in order to make changes. And the parent's going to feel really good about that. And then they're going to have the best breastfeeding, latching, bottle feeding, whatever experience all day. I hear that almost hundred percent in my office. This is the best he's latched all week. This is the best it's felt. This is because we've been doing this therapeutic prep.
0: Mm, that's amazing. And I know there's also, I know we're talking a lot about tits for tots and tether- tethered oral tissues, especially in the populations that we treat, but I know there's a lot of evidence to support tummy time in general. Um, we, we were talking about how even in typically developing children and there were studies that have been done. So, um, can you speak a little bit to that as well? Because I think that all parents of all babies and all, all therapists who, who know any in, infant, whether they have tethered oral tissues or not, you know, should be aware of tummy time and it's benefits. Right. Well, that's a good point because ba- some babies that quote unquote hate tummy time or
1: have a lot of discomfort in that position, not all of those babies are going to have, that's not the only indication for hating it. It would be anything digestive. Mm-hmm. It could be a lack of experience sensory processing sensitivities, et cetera. There's a lot of different things. So I agree with that. And plus the typically developing population, because we're spending such large amounts of time on our dorsal surface or on our back, that it's, that's just what most babies are doing. Mm -hmm. So when you look at the research, it's, there's lots of developmental research supporting tummy time. And when they looked at a normal population and four month old infants who had done, enough tummy time. They saw developmental skill differences. They actually tested differently on developmental skills. So the ones that had gotten 30 to 90 minutes scored significantly higher than the babies who had not gotten that tummy time. Now, what I don't like about that study is, and a couple of occupational therapists did that, and what I don't like about it is that they went by minutes. And I'm not into time. For me, time has not made anything. Um, When you create autonomic regulation and the baby likes it and the baby almost craves it in a sense because it's nurturing those circuits that are primed to be developed anyway. You know, these are innate physiological things we're tapping into. We're not creating some false artificial structure. Mm -hmm. I've studied and watched babies for a long time before I conceptualized what could you know, be therapeutic in that way. But then another study I think we we mentioned earlier was um, or maybe we were talking before is done recently was looking at babies with Down syndrome and their effects of doing a therapeutic tummy time with them again done in minutes because people aren't sure how to measure it except in minutes. And that's kind of we do need guidelines. We're time focused in our culture anyway but show developmental differences in just limited in babies with down syndrome. So we know for one thing about down syndrome, what we can say is that's lower tone. Okay. Which interferes with development, not necessarily that a a baby with down syndrome has a brain that's certainly programmed to do one thing or be one way. When we work with it, we work therapeutically, just like in the typically developing population tone can change. And not saying we're trying to optimize that to a non-hypotonic uh, way, but to, to make it as good as it can be. And I think that's what we all deserve, to have the freedom to move our body and to have the optimal pressures, forces, and movement in our body to shape our face and our airway and ultimately our whole body and brain. But uh, going in through the nervous system in order to create movement, which then stimulates normal body shaping and growing. Yeah, I made a statement not too long ago. I said that babies that have optimal movement won't tolerate a container lifestyle.
0: Mm, interesting. So they won't want to be put down in those containers. They won't tolerate it. And that's where some parents are like, my child won't let me put them down. I can't catch a break because they like moving around.
1: <laughs> that's so funny. Yeah. <laughs> yeah and then and then so for that parent okay it's really helpful to have something you know that they can follow that is easy to do that makes sense mm-hmm. because that was the other thing i noticed that we as parents and myself as even a young parent i needed and wanted some structure now i was lucky enough to be a pediatric occupational therapist so that's how i interacted with my children but not everybody is a developmental expert when they raise their babies, and even when I train some occupational therapists i 've gotten this feedback back it 's just so nice to have a way to do it and a way to just enjoy and let it flow, but also to be able to help my baby if they need help with something and most babies do we 're born immature and vulnerable and we still need a whole you know gestational trimester actually we need a we need that fourth trimester, yeah, the fourth trimester, to continue to mature enough, and um, that's got to include the first extension movements. And I always say that, you know, teamwork makes the dream work. Mm-hmm. You, you mentioned therapists taking tummy time method, but this is also where lactation professionals and experts can take this because it's a really great thing to tack on another. A thing you can add at the end where you can support the parent because this is going to directly relate to breastfeeding. Mm -hmm. I designed Tummy Time method to be task-specific training for breastfeeding.
0: Oh, that's great! That's really cool. I mean, that's amazing. I think that um, I'm lucky that I think some of the IBCLCs in my area are maybe Tummy Time method trained. I mean, they really know how to help these children and occasionally they'll refer to me when they feel like okay we've done everything in our arsenal that we know to do to help this child we suspect that there may be ties can you do an evaluation and you know confirm or deny what we're seeing so we know what to do you know because our you know our feeding is kind of at a halt from what we can help the family with and you know can you can we kind of consult together and oftentimes I'm able to do an eval and maybe just kind of send them back to the IBCLC to kind of continue on with what they're doing and Um, But like you said, that teamwork, it's not that I'm taking over the case all the time, It's sometimes it's I'm just doing my own evaluation and saying, hey, yeah, you know, I also see what you're seeing and I'm also seeing this. And I think we need to now refer to this next team member. But um, yeah, teamwork absolutely makes the dream work. And it gets these babies back on the breast and or and or bottle, whatever that goal is for that family um, pretty quickly when everybody's really working together and taking a whole child approach. So.
1: Yeah. I love that bouncing back and forth between the team members, especially when you're familiar with one another, because it helps to create safety in the family Yeah, because they hear the same things sort of, and we each have our own little angle and slant. And I definitely recommend, you know, meeting with your team members and and getting uh, close to them so that you know what their recommendations are. But this helps to cooperate each other's experience and also to help the families feel safe. And this process is very stress invoking.
0: Yes, especially and with it, new mamas who are, or even repeat mamas who are just exhausted and their hormones are all over. And they, I mean, fourth trimester for mom and baby, it's a lot.
1: It is. And when we think about those early uh, days when we're really supposed to be lying in and just taking it easy. And the, that luxury is often not afforded babies when they have tethered oral tissues. And so that's why we, we want to really work with the team because that safety helps the parents proceed in the direction that is best for them. And they can more clearly understand their own goals, yeah. what they want for their baby and their family. And, um, you know, because we cannot ignore, I mean, we can say there's, you know, I always say there's a lot more to be in a baby than breastfeeding but breastfeeding is so essential on so many levels, but we also want to honor families that that is not their ability or choice, or that's not their expectation. We can, we can work with all different kinds of ways, but feeding in general, our babies. Yeah. It's something we do. My kids are still 21, 18 and 16. I, when I'm out of town, I ask, what do you eat tonight?
0: <laughs> Did you, know, you have dinner? Did you eat? What two, Did you two, eat?" Two. <laughs> <laughs>
1: we still just want to caretake and and make sure that they're getting the right thing and the best thing. And we're always going to have this sense of worry. That's instincts. We want to definitely tune into our instincts. And I think the great teamwork making the dream work is helping parents trust their intuition, but then be guided by our expertise because we cannot expect parents to just download all of this information that we understand and across the lifespan because you know, just having tethered tissues, just because you're breastfeeding, while well, you might not be sleeping well. We don't know that what that looks like with babies, because you know, very few people know what that looks like. And it could be other things like postural dysfunction, or just the GI part of it, or like I've been getting a lot of babies. Doesn't it seem like you get a lot of one thing at one time? Oh yeah. Oh, yes. <laughs> but all these babies showing up with pelvic floor dysfunction, like mm-hmm. really. Wow tense and held back. And so um, we know in big people body work, um, body work stuff is that the pelvis is related to the jaw and body system. So bringing it all back, you know, to the whole body influences and because babies use synergies for movement that's another reason why tits for tots is really important. It's, yes, definitely going to be mobilizing the tongue and the highway bones and, and, and muscles and bone and, and the soft tissues of the neck and the shoulder girdle, but that's going
0: to translate all the way down through the digestive tract. Mm-hmm.
1: And that's, I get that a lot
0: too. Our parents say, well, no, they, they said he doesn't have a tongue tie or they said he has a slight tongue tie. That's a new one I've been hearing a lot of mild or slight tongue tie. I'm going... a tongue tie is a tongue tie. I mean, if, if there's some tight tissue, it's tighter. It's not tight. I don't really die.
1: (laughs) We got to give people a lot of grace because why? What they mean is that the symptoms are not so overt yeah. and that the baby may have a little bit more inherent protective resiliency factors that's not making them struggle as much.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, and a lot of these babies might be feeding okay, but then the digestive issues kick, kick in. Yeah. And so that's where they're saying, oh, well, he's, he's really gassy. He's really uncomfortable. He's not sleeping because he's uncomfortable. And I'm going, well, he might be feeding okay meaning he's taking the liquid down, but is he really feeding okay? You know, what does that look like? And so that's where these, these slight or mild tongue ties, and, and this is what I feel like I've been getting a lot of lately, um, or I've been getting questions from, from either friends or people going, you know, well, we didn't really see anything noticeable, and he can drink. You know, breastfeed's perfectly fine and drinks from a bottle, but oh my gosh, like the gas, nothing works. The gas drops don't work and this doesn't work. And, you know, we've tried so many things. What do you, what do you recommend? I'm going to a feeding evaluation. Right. <laughs> like, that's what right. I recommend. It seems so obvious
1: for many of us who've been to oral motor for a long time, like adding this layer of the myofunctional with oral motor, with our experiences with, yeah. like, in general, it's like, it makes sense. But I mean, that's one of the bigger reasons that for please let's work on tits for tox is those distended abdomens. Yes. Yep. Yep. That was my first one. <laughs> Huge distended abdomens. And yes, babies don't have a lot of cord and a lot of abdominal strength, but this distended abdomen thing is over the top yes. and being held against the chest does really work well, but we need the firm, flat surface and gravity in order to shift this so that we're not just taking care of symptoms, but we get to the root of it Mm -hmm. and drive the work from the inside for proper digestive function, which is a complicated thing. The enteric nervous system is its own thing. Mm -hmm. It's very connected, obviously, to everything else, but it's very sophisticated in what it does. And, you know, it's a bi-directional thing you know there's both going up and down it's not like the brain is the only thing dictating we know that we have neurotransmitters and the second brain our gut yeah. yeah you know just as many we don't really totally understand that connection other than we know that everything is connected mm-hmm. and the whole body is going to work together and that it's not just doing tummy time but it's what's done in tummy time okay mm-hmm. right? And because we also need to look at the overall digestive function and how the autonomic nervous system develops, because some of these are what develops into our hardcore sensory sensitivities because of the exposure and the repeated nature of it. Mm -hmm. Our brain very quickly wants to become efficient and it does, it gets better at what it does and it gets worse at what it doesn't do. And that's true for babies as well. You know, it's, you know, it's true for all of us. And, um, you know, the asymmetries get cleared up pretty darn quickly when we do the proper dosage of tummy time. And so let's talk about the dosage. My thing is, and what I teach is frequent short sessions. So whatever that means to you, right? Because frequent to me, it would mean like three to five times because that sounds frequent a day and short can be any amount of time. Like I say, when you're first starting, sometimes just do it every diaper change where you lay the baby down, change their diaper and you roll them over for about 15 seconds or less even and roll them back over and pick them up. And that repeated exposure is what can help to downregulate the baby. Mm -hmm. These, you doing things with repetition and consistency can be really helpful. And then that builds a base for later. It's not like they have to be perfect at tummy time right now you build towards that and that's what becomes therapeutic in the nature of that you're evoking natural reflexes and writing experiences and movements to support the body moving and shaping and gravity and it has to be done in tummy time because we don't get the same signals into our sensory systems when we're on our backs mm. And so, because we are in a back sleeping culture, we definitely need the intentional part of tummy time. We can't just let them get a little bit here and there. And I'm going to squash the myth right now that baby wearing is tummy time.
0: Ah, okay.
1: It's baby wearing's great. It's wonderful. It's powerful and fantastic. But it's not tummy time because it's upright. Yeah. And it is contact of the ventral surfaces of our bodies. And it's extremely powerfully connecting and important to do, but it doesn't replace doing developmental exploration and movement in mm-hmm. gravity.
0: So do you think that this whole back to sleep culture is part of what's made intentional tummy time even more imperative?
1: Absolutely. Because if we were sleeping on our tummies all night, we wouldn't need the, We wouldn't have a need for therapeutic, intentional tummy time.
0: So interesting that you say that because both of my kids, while they may have slept like a nap in a rock and play once they were in the crib, um, my first one was in the crib at four months. and she flipped right on over, tripod slept with her tush up in the air on her. And I, and I think that's what saved the shape of her head. I I really think that's what saved it because she was a belly sleeper and I could flip her over to her back and she would just plop herself right back over on her belly. Um, And my second one, even though she was released day five, had body work, has hit all of her milestones and is doing fantastic. Again, belly sleeper. doesn't matter how many times you turn them onto their back, they would flip right over. And like I tried like that Merlin sleep suit with my first one. And I, I, a lot of me felt like this is not good. No child should be kept in one position all night. So, you know, <laughs> I was kind of like a little hesitant, but I put her in that thing and she screamed bloody murder. And I was like, Nope, it's going back. <laughs>
1: I love those Merlin suits, though. So will pull out for every baby. But yeah. <laughs> yeah, I
0: know. I never saw baby that's a saving grace. My child was like, nope, because she just wanted to flip onto her belly. <laughs>
1: and the, the truth of it is, if you were to ask the developmental therapist pardon me, you know, what would you, what statement would you make about babies rolling themselves to their belly? And I would say all the healthy, optimally developing babies are going to flip themselves to their belly for sleeping by five months. Mm, interesting. That, that's if they're not restricted by something. Okay. So that's kind of how quick we sometimes think that back to sleep is this year or two long process. And it's really not. It's about 20 weeks, maybe or less. Oh. Okay. Because once the babies can roll in and out of tummy time, the pediatricians say, hey, let's let them get into the positions. We do want to provide a safe environment, a safe surface. I'm very big about safe surfaces, Yeah. but beyond that, we it's disrespectful to change somebody's position once they've chosen it and they can get in and out of it. We know for sure they have the developmental maturation. So it's really a very short period of time, but that's where we need the therapeutic intentional tummy time because I do support back to sleep because I worked in many different hospitals. And I I think, you know, I worked for 17 years at children's hospital and I saw, I've seen a lot Mm -hmm. and I am not going to go against anything. I just think we need to really focus during the day. What can we do? Because we can turn it around. And if with therapeutic dosing during the day, it can be enough. Mm -hmm. So that's a really good point that you're
0: saying. uh, No, I think that's helpful too, because I think Some people seem to love the back-to-sleep campaign. Some people seem to not love it. And I think that, you know, it definitely, in the culture we live in, a lot of people say it it saves a lot of babies from SIDS. And so I think there's a lot to be said about using the back-to-sleep. But I think that this intentional tummy time is also the way that you're describing it is not intimidating. It's not something that a parent can't easily do. It's, you know, I think that a lot of pediatricians say, Oh, we'll just work up to 30 minutes a day and eventually up to an hour, start with five minutes and then 10 minutes. And And I think a parent hears that and they go like, Whoa, (laughs) I can't do that. Especially because my child screams bloody murder the second I put them on their belly.
1: (laughs) Right. Because when you look at that developmental literature that we talked about earlier, the number is 90 minutes. That Mm -hmm. sounds like forever. Yeah, many parents like I okay, I can't do it. So it just feels intimidating.
0: Yeah.
1: And believe it or not, is if you work on the quality, which is what we're talking about with tummy time method, then the quantity comes the time, the baby wants to do it. And it's effortless, actually, at some point, because it feels natural, because it is natural.
0: Mm -hmm. It's all
1: part of natural development. But tots is a big Roadblock. And for some babies, they've got 10 rolled roadblocks to go through, and other babies don't have as many. But we can use therapeutic intentional tummy time throughout the TOTS process, throughout the pre-crawling period process, because it will change and grow with the baby. It's not something again done at one time. It'll change and grow and morph as the baby gets bigger and the neurodevelopmental expectations increase. Yeah. And that makes a lot of sense because yeah. there's so the the <laughs> arms, the shoulders, the hand, the wrist, the forearm, the feet, the pelvis, the stomach, the, the tongue, the jaw position, what they should be doing in tummy time. And it can be really complicated, but we can make it really simple and fun to do. And I think it's just like anything else. Once I, let me speak for myself, feel confident doing something. I do it more. Right. Yeah. And that's the parents and babies feeling confident about it because there is nothing worse. No parent wants to do something that their baby doesn't like. Right. And mm-hmm. we're kind of forced to do that with wound care in the, in the tots world, but this tummy time can be a part of reparations for that
0: mm-hmm.
1: and um, can be a big part of the um, analgesic effect to, yes. for wound care to get the movement going and using this way of being regulated with movement, but also bringing the intensity because it's not going to change. That is how we are human physiology relies on moderate, moderate transient stressors in order to change. That means the stress level needs to be at the right level, not too low, not too high. And that's the thing with babies. We're not really sure what that is. And that's, what we focus and specialize on in, in tummy time method is how what is the intensity and yeah it's going to be we can talk about that in a general way but it's individualized yeah Each baby cuz every person every individual even though there are more than 8 billion of us on this planet has so much uniqueness and variability and that's another thing with Taps babies is they don't have variability they don't have complexity they don't have the proper movement systems because mm. it's stemming from their mouth, which is the very crux of the beginning and origins of movements of the whole body. So that's why I get, I get really excited about it. And um, I like to talk about it a lot. <laughs> and I appreciate okay. you giving me the time to talk about it. But also because I, I'd like to say that one of the things that I get asked this a lot, hey, Michelle, if we're doing therapeutic intentional tummy time, if we learn the tummy time method, does this replace a baby needing body work or therapy? And the answer to that is no. Hmm. But what it does is it optimizes the situation. It helps our therapy changes and body work changes stick and continue so that we can progress with the baby instead of going back and working on the same thing every single time.
0: another piece of the puzzle, an important one,
1: not to to be like uh, it to be another arm. So not to replace. I mean, it's, if you don't have resources in your area, it's sure a good place to start. And yes, that would be yes, 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 yes. Do it. But then you would still want to build your team out and have, you know, a variety of therapeutic professionals available to you. You're working on the same
0: page, but, um, now if there's a parent listening that is curious. How they find somebody who's trained in this? Is there anywhere that people can look, like a database or anything? If people have been trained in your course,
1: yeah, tummytimemethod.com, and there's a professional listing and directory which we're constantly updating. Awesome. And if there's not someone listed, it may just be that the person hasn't gotten listed in that area. So get in touch with me and ask. And they can also go to Instagram and follow at method and at tongue tie babies, obviously. I continue to try to explain these concepts there. One of the things I like about Instagram is it's pictures and I don't like a lot of narrative on Instagram, you know, so it's just things like our brain does think in images. Mm -hmm. Instagram is very good for that. And these little tidbits that we pass along to one another can be really helpful Mm -hmm. with, even with repetition with our brains and exposure it helps us to get more knowledge and confidence and to sprout our own ideas. Actually, you know, I
0: following you on Instagram. <laughs> I love <laughs> your images.
1: <laughs> well, and it's just fun. It's a good way to keep up and, you know, keep things uh fresh. And I I'm all about helping people get access to as many free resources as they can. Yeah. They're going to pay for, you know, our body work and our therapy expertise because we need it. But that's another reason if we have this tits for tots, that's what they can be doing at home, creating this therapeutic milieu. It makes all of our jobs easier because yeah. there's a, a large volume of babies and children that need to be seen and yeah. need to be taken care of. Mm-hmm. And we want to help equip people and, and move them on down the road. Now, that doesn't mean not to do follow ups, because one of the things I'm begging everybody even if you do tips for tots is to make sure that your babies, when they reach the end of their tots journey with you, that they have some sort of follow-up with someone. Yes. Have someone they can call because these issues need to continue to be addressed throughout the developmental lifespan. So.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I, I often see a lot of my little ones back several months after dismissal, just to make sure that things are maintained, but also because as you mentioned before, there's so many, New levels of development occurring. And, you know, we want to make sure that they're transitioning from one phase to the next and that there's no hiccups along the way, just knowing their history. Um, But I think the earlier you get in and you do some of these things, the earlier you bring in that whole team and you really use the approach that you're talking about. The more successful I've seen a lot of my babies be, and the less they've needed therapy later on down the road. It's the cases where I think a lot of families maybe don't do as comprehensive care early on, or um, you know, babies but just been more involved. That there's been a number of you know reasons why we've had to bring the baby back and do some more therapy, but. Um, yeah, no, I think that that team approach and also having somebody on that team who is following the case or that the parent family can reach out to or check back in with um, so that they're not just kind of, you know, <laughs> sent on their way, expected to know every next step of development. Um, I think we do them a major disservice if we don't make a, a part of therapy you know, a requirement in a sense that, that we need to have that follow-up at a certain point, um, which may be very different from one child to the next. But yes, I think sure. that's a really, really great point you bring up. Well, and there's, so there's, that brings up a couple different
1: things. One, we need to do a great job of pulling in our fellow OT, PT, speech, lactation, all the professionals who are interested in learning more about this. Mm-hmm. Because just because I have a lot of education about TOTS doesn't mean the average pediatric OT does. And it's true for all of the disciplines. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. You know, to try to encourage our fellow professionals to learn and stop expecting the change coming from top down and educate people who are in there touching people and making changes because I don't want to do any therapy that I don't see changes happening. Yes. And I I wanted change has to happen pretty quick when you're working with babies. Mm-hmm. So it's pretty obvious to know. And so there are a few red flags even that we could think about a baby with a smaller jaw. They need to be followed more intensely. Babies with lower tone need to be followed more intensely because that continues to kind of play with things. Right. And um, then also we need to be, Getting people in our communities to collaborate more together and not just be in their own silos, but to have you know some sort of community discussion and communication about how you know to proceed because another thing about it is when the families hear the same things, not repeats of each other, but they hear these similar themes, it helps them so much with feeling safe and again, I cannot overemphasize how much feeling safe is an important in this tethered oral tissue process because you, it's like the unknown mm. for parents. And even when we as professionals go through it, I think it's really, it's, it's really challenging and tough. And so we have to be again, teamwork, making the dream work and bringing in somebody if you don't have somebody on your team who knows how to do tits for tots, send them to the training, come to the training. And if you're out there and you can't get to the training and this is not going to be in your future, learn as much as you can and do your best and, and find out what works and fiddle around with it a little bit. But I'd love to see anybody that wants to come through. I get really excited. It's a lot of nervous system stuff. It's polyvagal oriented. So it's stuff that you can use and apply to other populations too. And it's always so much fun talking to you and what you're doing. I want to say thank you to what you're doing because you're creating more community and communication. That's exactly what I'm begging for right here. And you're doing that in a way that we can hear different opinions and voices and and see how that works for all of us. And
0: you put such a great perspective on it. And I appreciate you. Thank you, Michelle. I appreciate you. I love doing this. It's so much fun. And, you know, it's, it's almost self-serving sometimes because I also get to learn from some really amazing people in this space that, you know, I do try to go to as many courses as I can go to, but I can't always get to every course. And so sometimes, you know, having the ability to talk to you or to other, you know, professionals in this space and just learning from different people in the space, because I'm a speech pathologist and, you know, I'm, I would say I'm, I'm newer to the space. I'm a baby in the space. You know, I've been doing feeding for a long time, but the tethered girl tissues, that's only been, I only have a couple years under my belt and that was following my own experience with my first daughter. So, you know, I, while I've taken a deep nose dive and I feel like I, I do, I've, I've learned a lot (laughs) and I I do now only work for the most part with feeding or tethered girl tissues in my personal client, you know, my personal patient practice, um, you know, we see everything, but I only see feeding and tots. Um, you know, so while that is my specialty, there's all like, you don't know what you don't know. And there's always more right. to learn. And so I'm, I'm just, I like to be a sponge and soak it all up. So, I mean, this is, it's so fun to be able to talk to you and to, you know, and to other people and, and people go, wow, you had Michelle on the podcast. <laughs> and I'm like, you guys, she's, you know, she's just like you and I, like, She wants to help and she wants to learn more and she wants to teach. And, you know, so I think it's really cool to have this podcast in place and thank you so much for being on it. Cause I know everybody really enjoyed hearing you the first time. And I know they're going to enjoy this one as well. Thank you. I'm an avid listener of this podcast. I love it. Thank you so much. All right. We'll have an awesome day and we'll chat soon. Okay. Thank you. Thanks Michelle.
1: Thanks for listening to this
0: podcast. If you want to hear more of these Myo Tots Airway and Feeding related episodes, be sure to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or pledge a small amount on patreon.com forward slash the Untethered Podcast. If you found value, others you know in this space will too. So be sure to share this episode on your social media platforms and join us over on Facebook, on my Facebook page at Biz on Instagram at at And you can head over to untetheredpodcast.com to grab a copy of the show notes where you can Also subscribe to be kept up to date on the latest podcast episodes. Big shout out to Dana McKay, podcaster extraordinaire, for editing and helping me keep this podcast alive.